today as we jump into the word, I want you to know that God is with us and we are looking for what has been lost. We titled this little two-part series, Lost and Found. Say, Lost and Found with me. Come on. Turn to the person next to you and say, Lost and Found. Turn to the person next to you and say, You look lost, but I'm going to help you get found. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. So, so last week, we talked about the book of Romans, chapter 12, and we talked about finding our place. We talked about the body parts, and we're here in Romans, chapter 12, the first time we see a transition in the concept of what church life or uh, uh, godliness and, and, and being together and how the organization of the body of believers was before the Jewish people who worshiped Jehovah God. What, they were, what was set was there were leaders that were set over them. The leaders heard from God and the leaders told them what to do. But when Jesus came, he created a new covenant and he allowed each and every one of us to have the same power of the Holy Spirit living and abiding with us. And we can hear his voice, not just through a man, not just through a woman, but we can hear it for ourselves. And then Paul puts it straight into perspective that each body part comes together, each piece, the hand, the toes, the kidneys, the, the heart, the liver, it comes together and it makes the body. And that body then works together. And we talked about each of us have a part to play. And to take a kidney and leave it in a Petri dish, it never activates. It never does what it was created to do. And as a result of that, are we losing my microphone or something happened here? Are we okay? Oh, wow, my head just went crazy. All right. And so I guess I lost monitors or something. Anyway, and so what happens is those body parts, they're of no value until they're connected into the body. Then they're useful. Not only does the blood flow to every other body part, but it flows to them. The power of God flowing through you as you're connected to others to do what God intended the body to do, to advance the kingdom forward and push back the gates of hell. Come on, somebody say amen. And so we talked about the places here on Sunday that you could use your gift. We call them CSTs. And many, how many of you were here last week for that? And you, and you know the message. Awesome. The rest of you, go listen to the podcast. It's awesome. And so today, we're going to talk about the second area of finding our people. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you my people? <laughs> finding our people. Look in Acts chapter 4. That's our key scripture today. We're going to jump straight into the, into the Holy Word. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And I'll go back and explain this passage, but let's read it first. On their release, Peter and John went back to their... Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. They went back to their... No, I'll say it like you mean it. To their... They went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, let me explain to you what has happened. This is Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus told them, go and wait for the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, they're all in an upper room, or they're all in a room, and they're praying and believing. And all of a sudden, there's this outpour of the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire rest upon their head. They all begin to speak in new tongues. And they walk outside in the middle of the Pentecost festival. <coughs> Excuse me. And all the people think they've been drinking. Because they have some sort of inebriation as God has messed with them so much. And the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And so here they are trying to communicate. And everyone's laughing at them. And Peter, who just days earlier has rejected Christ, who's been ashamed of Christ. And before the day is over, you'll, you'll deny me three times. And so here he is, days later, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and says, Hey, they're not drunk. 
This is what was prophesied. And he preaches his guts out in front of everyone without a microphone, and 3,000 people get saved. Come on, somebody. And it's this amazing experience. And so when we pick up in chapter 3, and they see this, we see this piece, and on into chapter 4, um, Peter and John are on their way to the temple just to pray. They're being good, good little Jewish boys, and they've had this powerful experience with, with Jehovah God and the power of his, his, his glory moving through them and baptizing them, giving them new tongues. And so they're going up to pray, and as they go up to pray, there's a guy sitting at the gate, beautiful. And he's lame, and he's been that way for his whole life. And he's calling out, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And he gets Peter and John's attention. He says, hey, guys, dude, what's up? Listen, listen, can you, can you help a brother out? Come on, man, can you help a brother out? And they walk over to him. And they say, listen, silver and gold we don't have, but such as we got in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And the guy j- jumps up, and he's, he's, he's healed. But for the first time, this man can walk. And he starts leaping and jumping and praising God. Obviously, a bunch of people come around like, oh, my goodness, that's that dude right there. He got healed. And they start talking about and they start preaching. It's because of Jesus. Well, because of this, the temple guards and the priests come over, all the commotion, and they hear Peter preaching about Jesus. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have him doing that. We just crucified that guy just less than a month, uh, just over a month ago. Let's grab him, grab him. And they grab him and they take him to jail and they leave him there overnight. And the next morning, the high priest Ananias and the elders and the leaders bring them into a gathering, into, into a meeting room. And they say, now listen, guys, what are you doing? How in the world are you going in there preaching this Jesus guy? And how did you get this guy healed? What, what happened here? And, and Peter rises up and he starts saying, it's by Jesus that this man is healed. The same Jesus that you crucified. And he starts preaching it down to him. Well, they are, they're getting furious, but they can't do anything about it because the people are so excited. And so they look at them, and they warn them, listen to me. We're not going to keep you in jail, and we're not going to beat you or anything. We have the power to do that. Well, we're just going to dismiss you and tell you don't say it to anybody else. But because the people are pretty excited about this, we're just going to let you go, and we're just going to give you a pass. Now, can you imagine Peter and John have been with Jesus Jesus has confronted the leadership of the day. Jesus, they watch, stand there and be falsely accused and not even defend himself. Jesus has gone to the cross innocent, and they watched him give himself. So they're wondering, probably, I'm assuming, they're wondering, is this the moment we're going to die? Are we going to follow Jesus to the cross like Jesus had told them? Is this that moment? And so you can imagine sitting there all night long, they're praying, oh God, oh God, oh God, is this it? And they get this moment in front of them, and they just know they're going to kill us. They're going to do us what they did Jesus. And they let him go. And it says that Peter and John went and found their mama and their daddy. Is that what it says they did? They went and found their, their friends from high school. Is that what it says? They, it says they went and they found their what? Own people. Try it again. Their own, out loud, their own people. Their own people. I have a question for you. Who's your people? Listen, I'm not talking about your age bracket or the color of your skin. I'm not talking about your family unit. I'm talking about who's your people. Who's the people when God does something supernatural in your life you, that you can't wait to get to them? You're not going to believe what God just did. You're not going to believe what you We was there, man. They got it. They took us away. And we're like, no, leave us alone. And we're sitting in there. And all of a sudden, they bring us back the next morning. And they're busting out in there. And we just know we're going to die. And God delivers. Peter, that was crazy when you looked him straight in his eye and told him he didn't want to kill you. I know, man. I don't know where that came from. That was crazy. You did what? Oh, my goodness. Let's pray. And the Bible says right there, they begin to pray and lift up their voices. And if you'll co- continue reading this passage in your own time, it says, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came back and refilled them afresh. Why? Because they were with 
their own people. And their people came around them and literally lifted them up in one of the most intimate, most intimidating moments of their life, having survived, and it became one of the greatest moments of their life. Here they went and found their own people to rejoice with, to encourage with, to be strengthened by. And my question to the body of believers in this hour is, who's your people? Too many, too many people want to come to church and just hear a message. Listen, we, let, why? Listen, I, if we just going to hear a message, let's go listen to Bishop Jakes. He's the best preacher in the world. Don't you say amen. Don't you dare say amen. Don't you say Thank you. We're not after great messages. We need to be the body of believers. We need to have our people that we do life with, that we're strong with. One of our guys the other day, he's been with us for a couple years. He said, you know, Pastor, he said, it's been tough getting to this place in our church. Because you guys don't know, you guys are new to us. We, we, we really struggled for years to try to get up off the ground. And, and man, we made sacrifices. And, and, and it's just been tough to get to the place that we're at now. God has done great miracles. And he, we were reminiscing. He goes, he said, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. If it wasn't for my small group, my people, he said, I would have left your church. I said, listen, let me tell you something. If it wouldn't have been for my people, I'd have left this church too. I mean, it <laughs> But what has happened is I've become... A man who understands Holy Scripture, and I've become, I've gotten to the place where I get it. Church is not about hearing good messages and good preaching. Church is about the body of believers coming together, and you and I having our people that got our back, and we got their back. And we know them, and they know us, and they know us intimately, and they're there to encourage us when we, when we get discouraged. And they're there to pick us up when we fall down. And when they're there to be alongside of us and rejoice with us when amazing things happen. Who is your people? Who do you have? When This chapter 4 is after what chapter 2 talks about how the church came together. They were just a bunch of followers of Jesus. Jesus dies, resurrects, and outpouring the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then chapter 2 talks about literally how the church, the the people was formed. And I want to look at this passage in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And this is kind of the key passage that our church is built upon. It says, and they devoted themselves, talking about the believers... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to power. Every, excuse me, to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done among, by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved so listen they're getting daily salvations they're having miracles like crazy they got everything in common all the people in the city like dude those christians they're legit man they have the favor of all the people why because the believers of the new testament committed themselves to four things the word in 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 niv is devoted that word in the original greek Devoted is the middle picture is like a, fa- a dying father and the person who, that, that son or that daughter that sits by his bed day in and day out, wiping the sweat from his brow, adjusting his pillows, giving him comfort, devoted, not leaving his side, watching with every crease of the lip, every, every uh, uh, wince of, of the face and trying to bring comfort, devoted to that individual. And it says they devoted themselves. I mean, it was serious. It wasn't a haphazard thing. I might go. I might not do it. They devoted themselves to four things. The first thing, apostles' teaching. We are devoted in this church to the teachings of the living God. We're devoted to the Holy Scriptures. 
The apostles were teaching the word of God to the people because they had never seen it like this. They, they had, the, they had the, the Torah and they had the teachings of the law, but they had not this understanding of how it translated to what God was doing now. And the apostles were teaching it. It's much of where we get from those teachings are much as where we get our New Testament from. And they devoted themselves to it. They gave themselves to knowing the word. Listen, you are a foolish individual who sit in church and don't know the word yourself. And everything that man up there or that woman up there says, you just take it as truth. You need to know it for yourself because you know the word yourself. Somebody ought to say amen. That's just good preaching. And it didn't I'd rather have a congregation that know the word and say, mm, pastor, that was good. But, you know, that little piece. And I, oh, you know, I probably missed that. You're right. I'd much rather have that and say, man, I, I, I heard this guy on TV say such and such. I'm a, I, you know what? I do believe Satan and Jesus were brothers. I mean, that's good, ain't it? No. That ain't what the Bible says. I'd much rather you know your word and know your God. The second thing they devoted themselves to is the word fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. Well, those of us who are a little older know the Greek word. The Greek word for that word fellowship is koinonia. And back in the 70s and 80s, there were a Christian band called koinonia. And that word koinonia, I don't like the way it's translated in our, in our English vernacular because it has a little bit more intensity. See, by our age bracket, or excuse me, our generation, the word fellowship for us usually means there's a fellowship hall and we sit around, we eat donuts, drink coffee and gossip about everybody. That's fellowship. But that's not this word at all. Fellowship in the Greek here, as it's translated, is much more the band of brothers. The sisterhood. How many of you guys saw Band of Brothers on, on, on TV? You saw that? It's a show about World War II and this group of men who were fighting alongside each other. And they had each other's back. They knew each other intimately. They took care of each other. When one was weak, the other one stood up for him. And they, and they literally became so bonded and so strong. Listen to me. You and I need to have fellowship. We need quantania with one another. We need band of brothers. We need sisterhood. We need, you know what? I don't care. I don't care if he blew it or not. He's my brother and I'm standing with him. We need people who say, you know what? He may not have it all figured out. She may not got it all right, but she's my sister and I'm standing with her and I'm going to stand beside her and we're going to go through some things together because you know what? We're friends. We're bonded. We're brotherhood. We're sisterhood. That's what's lacking in the church today. That's what you and I need to have. It's not about coming in here and messages. It's about you and I having people in our life. You know what? That's my people right there. That's my people. They got my back. I got theirs. Do you have that? You know why we have a young generation joining gangs? Because they just want some people. They just want to be a part of something. You see these men who play professional football, and when their career is over, you see them. Some of them even end up under bridges. Why? It's not so much about the money. It's about the brotherhood. They lost that now. They don't have that camaraderie where we fight for each other. We go to war together. That's what's lacking in church life today. I tell you, not here at Church on the Hill. We're serious about it. We're serious about doing life together. We're serious about having quantity of the third thing it says they committed themselves to. It says they committed themselves to breaking bread. If you read some of the newer, you know, scholars, they try to say that that's communion. But that's not, I don't see it that is at all. In fact, much of the older scholars from the 1800s and the early 1900s saw it much clearer and that breaking of bread was literally sitting down with folks eating together much less of communion in a service it was much more of the eating together outside of uh, services and gatherings it was you and i having dinner together you and i having lunch together you and i and my neighbors in fact i believe it was much more of an evangelistic thing that was happening naturally I think what was transpiring is they were, they were getting saved, they're getting transformed, and their neighbors were like, oh my God, what's happened to you? They're like, dude, you're not going to believe it. Man, I found it. I found the truth. 
I'm telling you, it's changed everything. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got power flowing through me. I know the real true God. He speaks to me. Are you serious? Yeah, listen, you got to come over for dinner, and we're going to talk about it. You got to come. I'm coming. Baby, you got them steaks ready? Listen, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm, you're not going to believe this. So I was praying. All of a sudden, ow, power hit me. Are you serious? I'm telling you. Hey, you, you, want some, you want some more Kool-Aid? I'll give him some more Kool-Aid. And so then what happened was, you know how I used to beat up on all them dudes and cuss off? Man, that's gone. I don't even want to do that anymore. Are you serious? I'm serious. Dude, I want that. That's what I believe was transpiring. In fact, I believe supernatural things happen when we have meals together. You say, hmm, are you sure? Absolutely. Let me give, give you a couple of just practical, carnal examples. Those of you who are married, I guarantee you the majority of the first thing you ever did together was you went out to eat. You went out to eat. And there was this bonding moment. And you just look deep into her eyes and said, baby, I love you. As the candlelights flickered between the two of you. Let, let me explain something to you. Those of you that are businessmen and women in the room, you'll, you'll testify. The decision for that business, it wasn't made in a boardroom. It was made by the big dogs the night before over dinner. That's the truth. I'm telling you, there's something about having a meal together that bonds our hearts. That's why Paul says to the immoral brother who says they love the Lord, but they're wicked in your midst and they're just playing games, don't even eat with them. He said, don't just get rid of them, don't even eat with them. Why? Because there's something supernatural when we eat together. There's something powerful. There's a bond. There's something happening. That's why he says that when we resurrect and the end of the world comes, that there's going to be a great what? Banquet of the Lamb. First big thing's going to happen in heaven, we're going to party. We're going to eat with the Lord. And there's going to be, man, I picture there's going to be a lot of crawfish. And a lot of scrimps. I'm sorry, that was a Louisiana boy coming out there. It says the fourth thing that they committed themselves to or devoted themselves to was prayer. Everybody say prayer. Oh, man. Man, a church that prays together stays together. You know what? When you and your wife start praying together, something starts happening. That's why the devil fights it. And, you know, it's uncomfortable to pray with my wife. Um, Lord, uh, bless her. Amen. That's all I know to do. Because there's an uncomfortableness. Why? Because you're fighting against the forces of evil to keep you from bonding and praying together. Where the supernatural power comes forth. Same thing with a group of friends. Same thing with a group of people. Same thing when your people come. First thing that happens when they go find their people, they pray together. And the place begins to be shaken again. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit again. Why? Because they're people. I want to help you, ignite you, to get out of dead religion and get out of just church going. And I want you to be not just connected to the body so you can use your gifts, but I want you to find your people. I want you to find, I want you to have relationships. You know what? In the middle of the night, you call them. Everybody's looking for the pastor. The pastor can't get the pastor on the phone. <laughs> Listen, what you need is your people. You need the people who, who know you, who have your back. They're doing life just like you are. They don't have it all figured out, but they're going for it for Jesus. And I want to tell you a little bit what that looks like, okay? So this is kind of what you're looking for. I'll give you a couple thoughts. Are you still with me? Say yes. yes. Come on, are you sure? Say yes. This is what these people should look like. This is what you're going for. First of all, you're looking for people who will help you get closer to Jesus. And somebody say amen. amen. Are you sure? Somebody say amen. amen. People that help you get closer to Jesus. I love this passage in the book of Luke in chapter 5 and verse 18. Jesus has come into this city. Somebody's welcomed him into his home, and he's healed, healed so many people that everybody starts running over to the house, and they start cramming into the house, and Jesus is ministering to him, he's talking to him, and all of a sudden, there's a group of men who had their buddy, and they're trying to get their buddy to Jesus, and let's look at the passage in verse 18. It says, some men carrying a paralytic man, excuse me, a paralytic on a mat, 
tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Verse 19. But when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Whose faith? The paralytic man's faith? The people standing around's faith? The friend's faith. When he saw their faith, what got this guy healed? His friend's faith. That'll blow your mind. That's a whole other doctrine that we don't even want to get to. But anyway, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And if you keep reading, he tells him, Take up your mat and walk. And he's healed in that moment. Now, I I know that's beautiful scripture, but let me kind of help you see it. Here's these guys, these four friends, I imagine. They got this buddy. He's a paralytic. Well, if you've ever had a paralytic or a person with physical uh, defect or difficulty, you know how hard it is for them and how frustrating it is for them that they can't get around like everybody else. So their friends or their family take on even more stress because they're trying to get them in and out of cars. It's hard to go to the mall with them. It's, it, it's, to get them bathed and things like that. It's a lot of difficulty. But this man is one of the luckiest mans on the pl- men on the planet. He's got some friends. And they're not friends who just love him just when, it, when it's convenient. They love him when it hurts. Come on, somebody. And they are determined that they're going to get their friend to Jesus. So they show up and they're carrying him on a mat. And they get there and they can't get in. Man. How we, man, God, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Come on, some of you guys are bold and courageous. Y'all have pushed me out of the way to get to the buffet. And that's what these guys are, excuse me, excuse, nobody's moving. Because they, they're, they're shoulder to shoulder, they're, they're pinned in tight. I don't know if you've ever been in an environment like that. They can't get in. And so they back, back out. And, and, and you know, I imagine, you know, their buddy, Dewan, he's like, man, it's okay, guys, it's okay. And I'm sure Mike's going, no, nah, no, nah, look, we're going to get you to Jesus, doggone it. It's going to happen. We love you. Come on, we're going to get it. Dewan's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's okay, man. It's okay. Be quiet. We're going to get you to Jesus. And I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, Mike says, look here, look here. And he shimmies up the side of the house, and he gets up top. He says, throw me that rope. They throw in that rope. Put it under his arm. He starts putting and they're helping him up and getting him up on the roof. And the rest of them climb up on the roof. And they well, right about here, I guess. All right, let's go. Now imagine all these people inside this house. Now, I don't know what's about to happen, but it ain't good. All of a sudden, flakes. Come on, you've been. Flakes. You ever been in a house where the tornado came? Exactly. Flakes. Tile pieces start falling down. And all of a sudden, cacao. And they look at and there's sunlight coming through, and Jesus is steadily preaching. And all of a sudden, they get proud, and they start pulling it up, and pulling it, and pulling it. And they finally get it, and they start lowering that bad boy down. And they lowering him down. Can you imagine that guy? He's coming down. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Boom. He sets him right there in front of Jesus. He's like, man, dude, that's awesome. Dude, your sins are forgiven. Go walk. And he takes off walking. Can you imagine that kind of friend? Do you have a friend like that? How about every time you get depressed, that friend, instead of helping you get closer to Jesus, like, yeah, dude, let's go drink about that. I'm with you, man. My life sucks, too. Let's go. The problem is, is that we think that somehow services are going to change our lives. They're beautiful. They're magnificent. I'm not downplaying our service. God meets us here. But I want you to understand something. The early church committed themselves to relationships. They, commit, they started meeting in houses. They started, they would go to the temple and have their big gatherings, and then they, house to house, they would interact. They would do life together. And I want you to understand something. If, if, you, if you live your whole life, and you don't have any peoples, you don't have any God friends, you don't have anybody got your back, I'll tell you what, you're going to end up a lonely old person. My grandmother, 
died a lonely little lady. My grandfather left her for another woman, left her with three kids when she was in her early to mid-30s. My grandmother took a bitter root as a result of that. She was a Sunday school teacher. She was very involved in her church. She had good friends. My grandmother said, that's it. No one will ever hurt me again. I'll never get close to anybody else again. And she shut herself away. And as I came along, my, my earliest remembrances, we didn't talk about my grandfather. We didn't talk about my not natural father. And we sure didn't be nice to the neighbors because they're the devil. And my little grandmother, when she died, she got saved just two years before she died. Couldn't get her to come to church. And then the last six months, she started kind of coming to church. Never met anybody, really. When she died, there were 100 people at her funeral. 90 of them were my friends. And 10 of them were her family members. Not one friend from work. All the years of working for the city. Not one neighbor. Why? Because my grandmother was so bitter and so rejecting and so self-focused that she never developed godly friends. I want you to know something. You need people in your life that will drag you to the foot of Jesus. You need people that will rip through the roof and say, be quiet, Dewan. We're going to get you there. And drop you down at the feet of Jesus. Listen, we've all got friends that want to pull us closer to the enemy. What we need is some folks that will get us closer to Jesus. Isn't that good? Say yes. Here's the second type of people you're looking for. That you, that you, your people should look like this. They should be people that have been through some things together with you. You're looking for some people who will go through some things with you. Oh, listen, everybody's your best friend when things are going well. What about when everything's not going so well? Sometimes family members seem the only ones that will stick it out, and that's because they're related to you. What if the body of Christ, what if you had folks in the body of Christ like the New Testament church had? At the moment you start going through something, they surround you. They strengthen you. And if they have to rebuke you, they rebuke you. But they stand with you. And we go through some things together. When you walked in this church, many of you that are new, you said, this church is amazing. These are the nicest people in the world. You know why these are the nicest people in the world? Because we've been through some things together. There are people in this room that have been with me 10, 15, 20 years, some of them. And we're close. That's my people. That, those are my people. And we've been mad at each other. We've been happy with each other. We've fought each other. And we've repented to each other. Because it's our people. And I trust them. And if everybody else leaves, I know they'll still be there for me. And if I blow it, I know they'll pick me up and clean me off and do whatever has to be done. And I do the same for them. They're my people. Do you have your people? You have people that will go through some things with you. So I tried at the last church and it didn't really happen. Listen, this is going to be a new season for you. This is a new day. Somebody say amen. Here's the third little characteristic you're looking for. Is you're looking for somebody that you enjoy doing life with. <laughs> i never forget. I went to this one church, you know, and we, we were committed to it. And, and they, they would tell you which small group to go to. And I went to that one small group and I'm like, man, I don't even like these people. I mean, they're Christians and all. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't connect with them. We don't do that at this church. We're not trying to force you into relationships you don't want to be in. But you've got to find some folks that you enjoy doing life with. You've got to have that. You've got to find that. And so I want to give you kind of a couple thoughts on how to go about doing that. Are you still with me? Say yes. Are you sure? Say yes. Real quick, look what Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 10 says. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity. Everybody say pity. Everybody say sad, 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 sad. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. This is how we're going to go about getting those kind of friends. First and foremost, we're going to try to connect. We're going to try. We're going to try to reach out. You ought to be trying to take some people to lunch today when you go to leave. 
You ought to go visit some of these small groups that people are trying to open up their lives. You say, well, I don't really know. He don't really look like me. He seems more nerdy. I'm more athletic. You ought to try to connect with people. You, you got to try. You don't have because you don't try. The Bible says if you knock, the door will be open. You got to try. Always, I end up counseling these people over the years that would say, you know what? You know, it's just, you know, I'm just, I went to your church and nobody reached out to me. And I asked them, who did you reach out to? You know, I just sat there and no one talked to me. Yeah, because you're mean. And you sit there like this, like, I dare you to talk to me. He says to go connect with people and give my tithe. But I'm just going to sit right here and see who comes and talks to me. No one, just like I thought. Can I explain something to you? It starts with you and I reaching out to others. He said, I've done that and no one responded. Friend, listen to me. That's called unbelief. And what I've learned in my life is to stop making excuses why I don't have good friends and start reaching out to people until some, something develops. That's why Jamie and I have more friends than we know what to do with. Why? Because we're friendly because we reach out. You say, this is not my personality. I'm kind of shy. Listen, the shyest people in the world I know have the best friends. Because they're actually, they're not, they're not all hyped about it. And they know when that's a person that will listen to them, they'll go and start interacting with them and they get connected. So don't use shyness as an excuse. You've got to try. You've got to reach out to people. I want you to have people that you can do life with. I want you to have people that you can, that you can, you can change the world with, that have your back and have quantity. I want us to have what the New Testament have. I don't want to have church like we have in this hour. It seems so common that we go, we hear a message, we give a little 10% tip if it was good. If we didn't like it, we don't give nothing. And we go home and we try to do life with our little family and that kind of thing. But listen, we have nobody supporting us, no one strengthening us, no one dragging us closer to Jesus, nobody going through things with us, nobody that we enjoy being with. And friend, that needs to change and needs to change now. And I say amen to myself. All right, next. The second thing on how we're going to get that is we have to be a friend. Be a friend. Listen, I want to tell you something. And I, I try not to highlight too many people because I don't want them to get big heads. But David Pena is the most friendliest man I have ever met. He's sitting right there. Wave your hand, Pastor David. We, the moment we started doing things and Brother David and his beautiful wife started coming to our church, the first thing he said, Pastor, whatever you need, I'll do it. He didn't just talk. He just started doing things. And people started coming up and, D- and D- David would come to me and said, Pastor, did you see these people? They're brand new. I said, no. He said, I already met them. This is about them. This is this is this and this and this. He said, we're going to go have lunch today. I'm like, really? That's awesome. He's the most friendliest person. You know, I, you know what friends do? Instead of tell you everything about themselves, they ask you about yourself. The key to being friendly is ask others about themselves. David will ask you a million questions. Before you know it, you're repenting. And then, when I was a kid, and you you just met the man. Because he's so interested. And then what happened? That's amazing. It's not hard to be a friend. In fact, I have found if you desire friendship, then you give friendship. If you desire finances, then you give away finances, and God returns it back 30, 60, and 100 fold. If you desire love, then you give love, and God returns it back 30, 60, and 100 Because he will not be mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. God will owe no man, according to scriptures. And if you pour your cup out, he will fill it up to overflowing. That's what he says in his scriptures. So be friendly, and you'll have friends. Here's the third thing that you and I have to do. And that is, number three, we have to fight through mistakes. Or excuse me, misunderstandings. We have to fight through those misunderstandings. You're going to have misunderstandings in friendship. Oh, yeah, you are. You've got to fight through them. You're going to have to say, listen, I, I, you, you said such and such to so and so, and it got back to me. <sighs> well, no, I didn't. What happened was, uh, listen, okay, but let's just, I want, you, we're friends. 
what happened here and how can we keep it from happening again? There's a lady in our church a couple months ago. She confided some things in me and, and, um, and I went and I told uh, a leader so that I, I could, because uh, I felt like I was doing right by helping her in doing that. And she came to me, she found out about it. She said, did you tell what I told you in private? I said, I did. I said, I did it because I thought I was helping and I wanted you to be able to bond with them. And, and, and she goes, well, I told you that in private and you, that's wrong. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? I'm sorry, I repent. I, messed up. I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And she was so gracious. She said, Pastor, I forgive you, but it does shake my faith a little bit. I said, I know. I know. But I thought I was doing good for you. I didn't think I, I never meant to hurt you. In fact, I wasn't gossip. I went to, to try to help you with that situation. And I thought I was doing good, and I blew it. Will you forgive me? And she said, yes. And she, 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 had, to, she had to fight through the misunderstanding, and I had to, I had to humble myself. I, I could have said, I, dog, I'm the pastor. I do what I want to do. I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing. That's why I'm the pastor. But you know what? That was wrong. I thought it was right. It was wrong. We all make mistakes. You can't find the perfect person to be friends with that won't make mistakes with you. Because the moment you find that person, you're going to be so human, you're going to make your mistakes, and now you've messed up the whole relationship. Because two perfect people don't make a perfect situation. Two imperfect people bring life together. And God in the midst of that makes something great happen. And so you and I need to just get past the fact that they're going to make mistakes. Well, you know the last person was my friend. They stabbed me in the back. Well, welcome to life. Welcome to life. You know, I tell people all the time, listen, thanks for coming to our church. If we haven't offended you, just keep coming. Eventually we will. It's going to be awesome. It'll be great. Because remember, I've taught you this before. Because love is forgiving and continuing on. Love covers a multitude of sin. People say they love you, but they won't forgive you. Guess what that is? That's just infatuation. Because love is tested when I make a mistake. When I fail you. That's when love is really tested. And it's not love until that point. And so we have to fight through some things together. Isn't that good? Say yes. yes. Turn to the person next to you and say, say, who's your people? That's what we want. We want to find our people. Now, I'll give you a couple thoughts here today. For as we close, let me, let me tell you a little bit of how Church on the Hill is structured so that you can have your people, so you can find your people. We're a small group-based church. What we mean by that is men and women in this church have opened up their life and say, you know what, I'll open up my life. I'll connect with people, and I, I'm, I'm not the best Christian, and I don't have a Bible school degree, but I'm trying to serve God, and I, I'd like to know some other people, and we can kind of serve God together, and we call them small group leaders. They're not professional ministers. They haven't, you know, they, some of them have Bible school degrees. Some of them have, have been pastors for 30 years and things like that, but most of them just good folks like the rest of us. And let me tell you how we go about doing small group life, because some of you came from other churches with life groups and things like that, and your concept is Bible study. That's not what we do. We do life together. We're trying to get the book of Acts restarted again in our lifetime so let me show you a little bit show our pie chart so this is we have meetings our small groups meet some of them meet every week some of them meet every other week and they sit together and they worship together and they pray together and they have and they study the word together and they do a lesson together but that's just a percentage and it's not the biggest percentage of what a small group is small groups also sitting together in church being together hey come sit with me come on in you were gone last week. Everything good? Yeah, we had a great... Man, I sold more, more stuff than we've ever seen. Oh, that's awesome. Come sit with us. Worship together. Your people. Sitting together with your people. And then the third thing that our small groups look like is that we talk and text all throughout the week with each other. I mean, man, it's so... Man, how did it go with your wife? Oh, dude, it was awesome. It works a lot better when you give her a gift for her anniversary. She loves me. It's amazing. Thanks for the advice. It's amazing. 
That's small group life for us. How about this other area, serving together? This coming Saturday, our small groups are going to come together, and we're going to be out there handing out uh, invitations to come to church at our big Easter egg drop and all that kind of stuff, loving on people, talking to people. We're going to do that in a small group. Hey, come on. And that, that, that may count that week. That's what small group does that week. It's doing life together. And you see our last piece, and that is doing the life stuff. Small group shouldn't be Bible study, shouldn't be just sitting around once a week talking about stuff. Small group ought to be doing life together. Birthday parties, anniversaries. Listen, dude, I got to move some furniture. Can you come help? Man, I'm with you. I got your back on that. That's awesome because next month I'm going to need you to come fix my car. All right, bro, you got it. You help me move, I'll help you fix your car. Life, doing life together. That's what small group life is supposed to be. That's being, knowing your people. So that when God gives you that, gives you that raise at work, you got the people that you're calling and texting, I got it. Thank you all for praying. I got it. And when you're going through something, your wife says, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to my mom's house. You say, guys, y'all got to come over here right now. Come over here right now and help me. Come pray with me. We're on our way, bro. We're on our way. That, my friend, is church. That, my friend, that's what your people is supposed to be. It's not about the color of our skin or our age bracket, or our financial bracket, or where we live geographically. It's about finding your people and doing some life together. Knowing that somebody's got your back. Knowing someone's going to drag you to Jesus. So knowing that somebody's going to be strong enough to be a friend and say, look, you're wrong in this. I love you, but you're wrong. And I've spent enough time with you that, that, that this should make you mad because I'm telling you what a, what a no. And because I've been there with you through thick and thin, and I have a right to tell you you're wrong in this, and you need to repent to your wife about that, bro. Because I've been there. And I, and, I, and I sowed the relational seeds. And I have a right to be your friend. And you have a right to be my friend. And the Bible says it like this. It says, it says that wounds from a brother are better than kisses from an enemy. Oh, my goodness. To have a brother and a sister beside you that walks out life with you. I don't want you to end up like my grandmother. I don't want you to go to church like so many people I meet. I go to church. That's awesome. I love Jesus. That's great. So... Tell me what you're called to do. I'm called to do this. Why aren't you doing it? Well, there's just no place in my church to do that. Are you kidding me? Your gifts ought to be. Listen, you, you ought to be prophesying with small group life. You, you, you ought to be using that gift to get people healed right there in the middle of your small group life. I'm not talking about houses. I'm not talking about sitting at Starbucks. I'm talking about this. Your people doing the stuff together. Walking in the supernatural. Holding each other's hand and going through it together. Isn't that good? Somebody say amen. amen. I want you to stand with me all across the room.